0: The following is a message from Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or Westminster Seminary, visit us online at westcal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. That's online at wscal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. Good morning. It's a pleasure to be with you and at my alma mater And if you would, turn with me to Psalm 3, or you can simply listen along as I read. Psalm 3, let's hear the word of God. O Lord, how many are my foes! Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. On your people. So, for the reading of God's holy word, Psalm 3 is what we call a lament psalm. There are different kinds of psalms, as you know, just as there are different kinds of genres of music. Uh, And a lament psalm is one of those psalms where the the psalmist, the writer, is uh, lamenting a terrible predicament that he's in. Uh, Circumstances in life are hard, they're difficult, and he's crying out in frustration to the Lord. And the interesting thing about lament psalms is they typically move in a certain direction where they go from lament to praise. And we notice that even with this psalm. It begins with the psalmist lamenting his predicament, these terrible circumstances that he is in. And it ends in a praise, a a burst of doxology before the Lord. And so we see that, and and there are certain motifs that we typically see in lament psalms. Not only the the lament of of the psalmist's predicament and ending in praise, but also a a profession of trust in the Lord. uh, Confessing that his confidence is in the sovereignty and the power and the goodness of God. And then also, usually, always, a a petition as well. a, A prayer to the Lord, a cry for help. And so we see these things, a predicament, a profession of trust, a petition, and a praise. And and just in these few minutes that we have this morning, I want us to think about those things and the movement that we see here in this psalm. The first, of course, is this this predicament that he laments. In verse 1, O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Now, why was David saying that? Well, we're told in the superscription that, This was a psalm when he fled from Absalom, his son. Now you probably remember the story from 2 Samuel. Absalom was his son and Absalom had conspired uh, against his father David with many of David's trusted friends, uh, with many people that were close to him, many of his own counselors. And he had gained a lot of popularity in Israel and and basically uh, raised a coup and raised a rebellion. And David became a marked man. He realized that the only thing that stood between Absalom and the throne was himself. And so he literally had to flee. He, he ran out into the wilderness, down into the Kidron Valley and up over into the Mount of Olives. And 2 uh, Samuel tells us that he went barefoot and weeping, that he covered his head and he and he was in sorrow. He he cried because of the betrayal of his friends, the the horrible circumstances that he was in. We can only imagine what that was like for David, how his heart must have been crushed, knowing that friends had basically stabbed him in the back, his head spinning uh, because of these terrible things that were happening. And it seemed as if all the, the pressures of being king of Israel, weren't even enough. All the, all the difficulties that he had to endure constantly as a ruler, as if that wasn't enough, now he has friends that are betraying him, even his own son. And he finds himself out in the wilderness and, and crushed and broken and, and crying, saying, oh Lord, how many are my foes? Many are, are rising against me. And then notice the, the, the parallel thought there in verse Verse 2. He says, many are saying of my soul that there is no salvation for him in God. That's You're probably learning in class that that's one of the major components of Hebrew poetry is this, this parallelism. These, these thoughts where something is stated and then it's stated again, maybe in another short sentence in a different way. That's kind of how Hebrew poetry works. It doesn't rhyme in sound so much as it rhymes in thought And David does that here in his his feelings of hopelessness and desperation. Oh Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. And David does this because of the circumstances that he feels, but we also feel those circumstances at times, don't we? We can identify a little bit with the laments of the psalmist. I doubt anyone here has ever been the target of assassins, uh, but we probably know what it feels like to cry out to the Lord in desperation. Maybe even feel that way now at the beginning of the semester with your sticker shock that you have with your syllabi and thinking of how am I going to juggle all of this over the semester? Not only is there the the pressure of uh, fulfilling my commitments as a student but I also have the, the responsibilities of being a father, maybe, a husband. Uh, how am I going to provide? How am I going to make sure that finances are okay? All of the pressure. Sometimes we know what it feels like to cry out to the Lord. Maybe we even know the firsthand the, the terrible feeling of having friends betray us, oppose us. Maybe you've had the heartache or the crushing feeling of learning that some of your own family members or someone whom you considered a trusted friend, even a a Christian maybe, plot against you, rise up against you. Maybe even say in the workplace or even in the church, you know, there is no salvation for him in this one. He's on the wrong side this time. And you find yourself opposed by those who have risen up against you. Those are terrible feelings for anyone to experience. And yet the truth is, the sad truth is that they are the ordinary part of life in this fallen world. It happens sometimes. We read the biographies of any of our favorite saints in church history, and we see that they were in those predicaments. And we find ourselves in those predicaments sometimes, all sorts of predicaments that cause us to lament and cry out to the Lord for mercy, as David does here. That's why these psalms so often capture our heart. That's why we open them up sometimes and we say, that's me. I feel that way. They express emotions that we know firsthand and the grief and the hopelessness that we sometimes feel. But they also express the confidence we have in the Lord. Notice how it moves from the psalmist's predicament to his profession of trust. In in verses 3 and 4, he says, But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. Uh, David's foes may have been many, even in the thousands, Uh, but the Lord was his shield. Uh, Like a good poet, he uses metaphors. It's not that the Lord is literally a shield, but he's like a shield toward his loved ones, toward his people in his power and in his providence and protection. And David knew that. He, He knew that the Lord had protected him in so many dangers and toils in life. He knew that it was the Lord ultimately who had delivered Goliath into his hand. It was the Lord who had spared him from Saul's assaults. It was the Lord who took care of him. The Lord who was a defender. Who was more powerful than all of his foes. And he hadn't forgotten that. He hadn't forgotten God's covenant promises to him. That even his sins were forgiven. And that he belonged to the Lord in his covenant of grace. And so he could cry out to the Lord. And what did the Lord do? The Lord directed his thoughts to his holy hill from where the Lord answers. From Zion, that place that God had appointed for people to approach him through blood sacrifice. You see, these things allowed David to lift his head. Even even when he was in sorrow, even when his world seemed to be in a huge tailspin and it was a mess, he was still able to lift his head. He was even able to sleep. Verse 5, I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. You know, when we recognize that the sovereign maker of the universe is in fact our Father, that he's adopted us and become our Father, well, whom shall we fear ultimately? What shall we fear? What circumstances? Yeah, things might not work out the way we hope them to work out, by the end of the semester or the end of the year or the end of our lives. But God has promised that not a hair can fall from our head apart from his will. He has promised to watch over us as a shield. He's made that promise to his people. And David remembered that promise. He was able to rest. He was able to say, I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. And he was able to cry out to the Lord in petition. Not only does he lament his predicament and then give a profession of trust, but then he gives a petition to the Lord. And he says, Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. O my God is is a wonderful statement. It's not a flippant statement as is used so often in our society. It's not merely OMG. Oh, my God is pulling the fire alarm in the covenant of grace. Oh, my God is a statement that only those members of the covenant of grace have a right to. Oh, my God, save me. Oh, my God, he has become my God in this covenant. Oh, my God, arise. And David uses this wording here, calling for a response. For you strike all my enemies on the cheek, you break the teeth of the wicked. David acknowledges that the Lord is ultimately a warrior God and will be victorious and will deliver as he sees fit. For he is the one who strikes his enemies on the cheek and breaks the teeth of the wicked. What vivid imagery he uses there! He's a warrior. Who will eventually eliminate and end all evil, all wickedness, all suffering from this earth that he has made? For salvation belongs to him. And that we see moves the psalmist into the last part his praise. Verse 8 Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. So, do you see the movement? From predicament to praise, from, from despair to doxology, that's the movement in which the writer writes. It ends in this great statement that really, in some ways, is the summary statement of the whole Bible. Salvation belongs to the Lord. You know, if somebody asks you, really, what is the Bible ab- about? You could sum it up in that statement. Salvation is of the Lord. It's not from us to God. It's not even meeting halfway It's God reaching down and saving sinners. And that brings us comfort, of course, knowing not only that the whole Bible proclaims that, it's one ultimate message, salvation belongs to the Lord, but that he has promised that he will save us, that he will raise us from the dead, That as we travel through this life, no matter what we experience, he will be the lifter of our head. He will be a shield that not even a hair can fall from our heads. We have that promise that all things that happen to us in this life, that whatever may happen to you this semester or this school year or throughout your life, God will ultimately, in some way, though you may never know how, work that for your good and his glory. We have that promise. And we have the promise that he will hear our cries and our laments. How can we be sure? How can you know for certain that as you let out your cries and your prayers, maybe as lame as you feel they are at times, and sometimes, let's admit, they are lame, how can you be certain that God hears and will be a shield to you? Because of the one of whom this psalm ultimately speaks. Because of the greater David. Because of the one whose whole life moved in that direction. Lament to praise in his resurrection. Because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because you see, like David, Christ also was surrounded by foes, wasn't he? He had people rise up against him. Even one of his own disciples. And he was put on trial and crucified. And people said of him, There is no salvation for him and God. They wagged their heads, they shook their finger at him. But even more than David, Christ knew what it meant to be despised and rejected by men, to have a whole multitude of enemies rise up against him not thousands, not even millions, but billions. Because you see, everybody, not merely the people that were there at the time of his crucifixion, but the entire human race has been the enemy of God. No, we were not there when they crucified our Lord. We were not in the crowd shouting out angry curses upon him. We weren't born then. But we were his enemies nonetheless. We were estranged and separated from God because of our sin. We were counted as his enemies, for we are sinners. And sin, of course, is the hostile enemy of a holy God. And yet, as Paul says in Romans 5, God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son. So truly, salvation does belong to the Lord. And that salvation is full and complete, Because unlike David, Christ was abandoned by the Father. And while he hung on the cross, the Father was not a shield to Christ. He was not the lifter of his head. There was no shield between Jesus and the wrath of God. He bore it all. The unmitigated judgment of the Father because of our sins laid upon him. And unlike David, Jesus cried out, oh my God, but there was no answer from heaven. No answer that time that said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Rather, Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was abandoned by the Father as the object of God's judgment so that you and I never will be. So that we will have a shield. He had no shield so that we would have one. And so that we can have a cry, even in lament, yet with confidence, knowing that as we cry out to the Lord in in sorrow of our predicament, in sorrow for our sins, in asking for relief from our suffering, we have the confidence that the Lord hears us, that he answers us, because of the righteousness and the shed blood of Jesus, the greater David. You see, God says to us in the cross and in the resurrection, there, there is the proof that I love you, that I have forgiven your sins, that even though you're in this mess right now, even though that I've allowed you to go through these challenges, I have not forsaken you. I never will. And if you don't believe me, look at my son. And he answers us from his holy hill, you see, from Calvary, where Christ suffered. And from the heavenly Zion, where Christ is ruling and reigning, where Christ says to you now, your suffering, child, will not go on forever. Your laments will not continue forever. In fact, they can't even be compared. Your sufferings in this present evil age cannot even be compared with the glory that is going to be revealed in you. And so we can lay down and sleep loved ones. For God is for us, not against us. And we need not be afraid of thousands that rise up against us in this life. The Lord is your shield because of Christ. So you see, this psalm, as it moves from lament to to praise, as it moves from despair to doxology, it describes the pattern of Christ's life, as I said. In fact, the whole Psalter moves in that same direction. It reveals the pattern of Christ's life, suffering, then glory. And because you are in Christ, it also describes your life. You're being conformed into the image of Jesus. It's suffering now, glory later. You may feel the weight of the present evil age pressing against you, but today the Lord is your shield. And the lifter of your head. And he will continue to be that tomorrow when you wake up. And the next day. And the day after that. And all of your days. So this psalm is for you, as you can see. For God is not your enemy. And he will not abandon you. For Christ has become your shield for you. And salvation belongs to the Lord. And his blessing upon his people. Go in peace, pilgrim. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for this wonderful poetry that grabs our heart and describes the the turmoil and and the emotions that we often feel in life, but even more so how they reveal to us the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who is ultimately the, the source of our comfort. And we thank you for the way in which the Holy Spirit comforts us with what he has accomplished for us in his person and work. And so we pray, Father, that we would have our heads lifted up and our eyes fixed upon the author and the finisher of our faith, the Lord Jesus, the greater David, the one who is our assurance that you are a shield to us. May you bless us this day, Father, this week and throughout our lives as we seek to serve you and our neighbor in gratitude.